Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Jesus and his disciples were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus took the twelve disciples aside and he began to tell them what was going to happen. He would be betrayed, arrested, delivered up to his enemies, punished and condemned to death. It is clear in the context of Mark 10 and other passages the disciples did not understand, did not fully grasp what was ahead. The sons of Zebedee ask about positions of glory in the kingdom and claim the ability to drink the cup Jesus would partake of. And then ten other disciples express some indignance toward James and John and Jesus spoke to correct the immaturity of these men. One thing Jesus said in response to his men was this statement in Mark 10 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Now, there's something here in this passage and in the New Testament that is not popular or attractive to the modern mind. Servitude. Ordinarily, men do not rejoice with any kind of servitude. All the words and images associated with servitude provoke generally a negative reaction. Servile, serving, and especially slavery. Jesus said, I came to serve. So he models and teaches us the kind of servitude that glorifies God, that is an occasion of joy, that is a privilege that we partake of in response to the gospel, directed by God, and that has a glorious eternal result. In Romans 6.18, we are called, Christians are called, slaves of righteousness. Now, service as modeled by Christ and taught in the New Testament, starts here. To be a servant requires the presence of the Word of God in your mind. Real servants of God think as God expects them to think. And therefore they act as God expects them to act with a full heart devoted to him. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 25, 2, that King Amaziah lost favor with God because he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a true heart. External obedience will never have the ultimate outcome of good God intends for us unless our heart is the foundation of that external obedience. Real servants of God think as God expects us to think, and therefore we act as God expects us to act. I want to emphasize tonight that service, as God defines it, starts in your mind. I want us to think about the mind of 
a servant. Servants think more about others than themselves. This is right from Philippians chapter 2, where Paul said in verse 3, Do nothing for selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. What a challenge. This passage teaches unselfish humility. Christ perfectly illustrated unselfish humility in his life and death. Paul teaches we are to follow that example in Philippians chapter 2. And he expresses this first in prohibitive language. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Then he turns to the positive, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And then adding verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also the interest of others. There is here something frequent in the New Testament, a prohibition that is negative, followed by a command that is positive. It's all through the Bible. So, do nothing from selfishness, but, this is the positive side, regard others better than yourself. Then again, same pattern, verse 4, the prohibition, do not merely look out for your own interest, but the positive also for the interest of others. From Philippians 2, Many good thinkers have drawn correct conclusions. C.S. Lewis said, This is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Self-forgetful. This is essential to have the mind of a servant. To forget yourself in your service to God and to others. Now look at what Paul says about Christ down in verse 7 of Philippians 2 where he said Jesus emptied himself taking the form of a bond servant. I should inquire of myself when was the last time I emptied myself for someone else's benefit. You can't be a servant if you're full of yourself. Not the kind of servant God expects. It's only when we forget ourselves and we do the things that deserve to be remembered by God in our relationship with others. Unfortunately, a lot of so-called service is self-service. So we serve to get others to like us, to be admired, to achieve our goals. We serve to fit into a group. We serve so we can talk about our service and gain human attention. If the whole time we're doing our service to others, we're really thinking about the applause and the congratulations that we're going to receive, that's not the biblical mind of a servant. We may get the externals correct, but we do not have the mind of a servant if our aim is our own glory. You see that? Self-denial is at the core of discipleship and servitude. 
The mind of a servant thinks more about others than self. There is a song, I believe it's in our book, not asking you to turn there now, but I want to repeat some of the words. It's called Others. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel in prayer, my prayer shall include others. Another line. Help me in all the work I do to be sincere and true and know that all I do for you must needs be done for others too. Now, the passage that's in the subtitle of that book is Philippians 2 verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also to the things of others. The mind of a servant thinks more about others than self. Servants think like stewards, not owners. There are not many human emotions as strong and adrenal as possessiveness. We can become so animated when we think what we own is being threatened. If you find somebody trying to get into your house or get into your car, a whole set of energies can take over. If you think someone might break into your computer to gain access to your information, there is a defensive mode and risk factor and fear that we assume to get somebody to build a firewall or pay to install protective software. Not many human emotions are as strong as this basic desire to keep and protect what we own. And if we do not guard our attitudes and habits, this desire to possess and protect can reach into carnal proportions. We're no longer capable of any generosity. We're too busy protecting what is ours. We've isolated ourselves, frantically protecting what we believe we own. We acquire and protect and keep. And the strong passion develops. It is mine. It's not. God owns everything. In the Bible, good servants are portrayed as faithful stewards. And you cannot comprehend biblical stewardship if you get locked into being possessive and owning. A steward is one who is accountable to faithfully use something that he does not own. The chief example of stewardship in the Old Testament is Joseph. He was accountable to faithfully manage the household of Potiphar. The jailer made Joseph a trustee. Eventually, uh, Pharaoh entrusted the administration of Egyptian government to Joseph. Joseph was faithful in the use and management of property that he didn't own. To be a genuine servant of God, we must remember that God owns all that we have, including us, whether we acknowledge that ownership and obedience or not. So instead of thinking that we are owners, rather than fostering that strong passion, it is mine. 
we need to see ourselves as temporary handlers of resources entrusted to us by God. And where is this? Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm going to start at verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Be listening for this concept of stewardship. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now verse 20, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Now, sometimes when we read this passage about riches, we dismiss it. Our first thought might be, well, this is not me. I'm not rich. It doesn't apply to me. We must not dismiss the teaching of this passage based on some claim of poverty relative to others in the economic system. For the sake of safety and application of the whole counsel of God, we need to assume we are rich, and compared to many we are. The teaching of the text is we must not allow our possessions to cause even a little conceit. The teaching of the text is we must not fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches. Everybody who wants to please God must make a personal application of this if you have a dime or a million. In regard to this, it doesn't matter how much you have or how little. We must not fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches. We must acknowledge that God owns everything. And there's something else here. There's no future in riches. We must work to earn a living. We must be responsible to the care for our family. We must give to the Lord to support his work. We must, to the best of our ability, do all these things. But when we come face to face with death and eternity, there's no future in the accumulation of riches because you'll not have a penny with you. The uncertainty of riches. So, if you don't place your trust there, where do you place it? On God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. We must think like stewards, not owners. Everything we have to use for every good purpose came from God. And 1 Corinthians 4 in verse 2 teaches, It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. We're talking tonight about the mind of a servant. Servants concentrate on their own work, not comparison and competition with others. 
I tell you, one of the ugliest things to observe and one of the most hurtful things to the cause of Christ is concentrating on comparison and getting into our heads how we size up relative to others. There's no spiritual benefit in such comparisons. None. I want us to listen again from Mark chapter 10. This time, the context from 35 to 45. Mark 10, 35 to 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want to do, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now pause there. They wanted to be the ones issuing the commands to Jesus. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able and Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know... That those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So, the ambition here is pretty raw. I want to be over people. I want to be at the top places. I want to look down on some imaginary scale at those below me. Jesus said, let it not be so among you. Real servants of God don't do that. We are not to think in terms of comparison and competition. Paul said in Galatians 5.26, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. The mind of a servant thinks more about others than himself thinks like a steward, not an owner. Servants concentrate on their own work without worldly competitive spirit. And servants are focused on opportunity, not just obligation. There is, there is a sluggish and reprehensible attitude that can slowly sidetrack people from faithful service to God. And that is to just 
do the minimum requirements. Just do the minimum requirements. And if, if a person is guilty of that, their only thought about church and Christianity is, I have to do this. Do you remember a few years ago when bumper stickers were more popular and you'd see a whole series of bumper stickers called, I'd rather. You remember that? I'd rather be fishing. I'd rather be hunting. I'd rather be playing golf. Many years ago, there was a car in front of me on the freeway, and I was a little concerned because the bumper sticker said, I'd rather be asleep. I'm afraid some people come to the church building and they'd rather be doing something else. And what does that say? Not motivated by love and reverence for God, not focused on blessing, privilege, and opportunity, not centered on the joy that we talked about this morning. It's Sunday. I got to go to church. In most cases, those guilty of this spiritual laziness cannot conceal it. It is displayed by their demeanor once they get here. Cold and uninterested, a grumbling spirit, they do not serve the Lord with gladness. I want to read a few verses, five verses from Psalms 100. If you're looking for a high percentage change in your attitude, read and memorize Psalms 100 because this is the glad heart of a servant who thinks in terms of opportunity and the joy to serve God and others not just raw, dry obligation. Here it is. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and listen to this, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. What a difference it would make if we approached all of our service to God with this attitude from Psalms 100. Looking for opportunity to gladly do what is right, to rejoice and enter his gates with thanksgiving, seeking opportunity to do good, to afford the lost an opportunity to hear the gospel, to be more generous and unselfish with what you have, to be more involved with the spiritual family that you're a part of. Servants are focused on opportunity and privilege, not just drudgery, duty, obligation. Of course there is duty, but it's a joy to obey Him. 
Of course there's obligation, but what a privilege to worship and honor Christ and serve His cause. That sense of privilege and gratitude and appreciation for opportunity should conquer any sense of drudgery or indifference or bitterness about the things of God. The mind of a servant thinking more of others than ourselves, thinking as stewards, not owners, concentrating on your own work without comparison and competition with others, focusing on opportunity, not just obligation. In 1 Peter 2.16, Christians are identified as people freed from sin, therefore obligated as servants of God. The word servant there means one who gives himself wholly to another's will. Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely. In obedience to the gospel, we began service to God. We must thereafter be wholly, completely devoted to Him with the mind of a servant. One more thing, do you remember what Eli told Samuel back in 1 Samuel 3? There was the occasion when the Lord was calling Samuel. And Eli said to young Samuel, if he calls you next time, you need to say, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. I hope we're listening. We must listen to the word of God that we have on the pages of Scripture, develop and maintain and grow in having the mind of a servant. If you need to respond, we invite that response while we stand together to sing about being a worker for the Lord.